Monday matinees begin right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Hello, I'm John Barber. Welcome to Reimagined Radio, a program about sound-based storytelling. It's February, the month of Valentine's and celebrating love. For our celebration, we're re-listening to a live performance of Reimagined Radio recorded in 2019 at the historic Kiggins Theater in downtown Vancouver. The three stories reprised here all focus on the travails we endure, the stories we tell ourselves, and the results we never expect when dealing with love. The first is The Good Salesperson, a story about two lonely people who connect through a newspaper personal column and surprise themselves with the results. The second is The Valiant, a story about how sometimes there is real purpose behind the unexplainable actions people undertake for love. The final is Bloodthirsty Kate, a story about how love tosses us about like ships on the ocean. When this happens, even pirates have trouble finding love. The program is called Affairs of the Heart, and I hope you will enjoy the performance by actors from Metropolitan Performing Arts. We begin with our special guest, Lonesome Gal, whose incredible singing will surely make you feel the love. Sweetie, no matter what anybody says, I love you better than anyone in the whole world. Lonesome, I'm a real lonesome This is your lonesome girl. Have a couple of minutes to visit with me before you get involved in your evening? You better have, or I'll be very disappointed. You know how I like you, real relaxed with your tie loosened, in your most comfortable position, so you can visit with me every single minute I'm yours. Who knows what tomorrow may bring? but I don't think I've ever asked you that before. Not that I think your answer will especially be me, but I'm sure hoping that somewhere in that great big heart of yours, you've saved a tiny corner for me. I need to be loved, Angel. With all I have in my association with you, I still have a little feeling of insecurity, and I still have a tremendous feeling of loneliness, like you can feel from reading the letters in the personal columns of the newspaper. Sometimes, the results are surprising. My name is Vivian Wilson. I live in Vancouver, Washington with my sister Sarah, who is younger than I am, though she's married and has two children. 
I suppose I should really have been the younger sister, because Sarah's quite the older sister type, and I, I'm afraid, well, I'm shy and unattractive. It's a nice city we live in, but I'm lonely, terribly lonely. And the awful, wasteful, unnecessary part of it is that all around are thousands of other people just as lonely as I am. If you only knew how to reach each other. I suppose that's why I started reading the personal columns of the newspapers where people tell their troubles and ask for advice, trying to understand the stories that lie behind those few lines signed John, Ruth, or Mother. And I think it's silly and undignified. No, it isn't, Sarah. It's interesting. Prying into other people's affairs? Oh, no, Sarah. I just like to try to sort of make up stories to go with the little ads. Look, here's a girl in Kansas who says... <laughs> For heaven's sake, Vivian. She says... I'm not interested in her problems out in Kansas. We've got enough on our own here, like the mending and... I'll help you with the mending, Sarah. Well, I wish you would with the youngsters. How long does it take male to get to South America? What? Listen. Have pity on a lonely young American. Listen, Sarah. A lonely young American mining engineer in the jungles of South America. I'm dying of boredom. Please, somebody write to me. Richard Marshall, General Delivery, Monteluna, Venezuela. You are not going to start writing to these people now, are you? For goodness sake. Oh, Sarah, can't you understand? You've got all your married friends, your bridge club, Albert and the children. You've got dozens of things to keep you busy and occupied, but I haven't, and I'm lonely. Well, even so, you're hardly in a position where you need to write to perfect strangers. You're not going to write him, Vivian. No. No, I guess not. October 20th. Dear Mr. Marshall, I'm glad to write to you, and perhaps I'll write you again if you send me a nice letter in return. Life in Vancouver can be boring, Mr. Marshall, but I can't understand anyone being bored in South America. Please tell me about it. Would I like it there? And tell me about yourself, too. Very truly yours, Vivian. Oh, heavens no, I don't dare sign my own name. What would be a good name? Yes, Betty. Very truly yours, Betty Wilson. Monteluna, Venezuela, November 9th. Dear Miss Wilson, I'm 22 years old and working on my first engineering job. I'm sure I won't be so bored with South America if I can look forward to regular letters from you. It would be very nice if you'd send me your photograph. We're going uh, farther into the interior on a uh, new oil survey soon, and it would be nice to have a picture of my new friend to take along with me. Please don't forget, and thank you. Yours truly, Richard Marshall. January 22nd. Dearest Richard, um, no. Dear Richard, enclosed is a picture of me that was taken when I graduated from high school. I warn you, it flatters me. At present, I'm living with my Aunt Vivian. She wants me to marry a wealthy young man in the flour milling business, but I don't want to. Haven't I been good to send you my picture right away? Now you must send me yours. Please give my regards to the mango trees, the boa constrictors, and the pampas. You see, I've been doing quite a lot of reading up on South America with kindest... No, fondest regards, Betty. Monteluna, Venezuela, March 13th. Betty, dear, it's been almost six months that we've been writing each other, and I feel that I know you better from your dear letters than I've ever known any other girl. Betty, you must not marry that boy in the flower business. Please wait at least till I can come back to the States. I am sending you my picture, taken alongside one of our oil wells. Betty, dearest, 
If you love someone else, my heart will be broken. You are all I ever think of. Please say that you love me a little and that I have a chance. Yours forever, Richard. April 20th. Darling Richard, I know that I love you. I'm sure that I do. I think. I wish you were here. May 21st. Betty, darling, I'm coming home. There's a little more survey work on one of our oil wells to do, but it will be finished in about a week, and then I'll be leaving. For the first time, we'll see each other, Betty. Darling, last week I picked out something that I thought you would like. It is an engagement ring, and I will have it in my pocket when I see you. By the way, my favorite uncle, Mr. Albert Marshall, who has been knocking about South America for four years, is, is also, also on his on way, his way back, back home. home. He'll probably get to you as soon as this letter. Darling, your aunt surely won't try to stop us from being married, will she? Until I see you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Your own Richard. Vivian, what on earth does this mean? Well, Sarah, I've been meaning to tell you, but... Is that man in South America in the personal column? Yes, but... Oh, Vivian! I know! I've been writing to him ever since last October, and one thing led to another, and the first thing I knew... He was in love with you. He's... he's not really in love with me, Sarah. I invented a girl named Betty Wilson. I was afraid to use my own name, and Betty's the one he's in love with. And he wants to marry her. And she's me. Sarah, what'll I do? <laughs> well, Vivian, I didn't think you had it in you. How old does he think you are? 20. And you've been teaching school for 14 years. 15 in September. You're three years older than I am. You're 33. But Sarah, what'll I do? I never thought anything would come of those letters, and now he'll be here. Practically any day. Oh, Sarah. Well, you got yourself into this, and you'll have to get yourself out. But I... But I... <laughs> you told him your aunt's name was Vivian? Yes. Well, all I can think of is maybe you should tell him that your niece, Betty, is gonna get married to that boy in that whatever-it-is business. Sarah, that's it! Maybe it'll work. Maybe if I were to tell his Uncle Albert when he comes... Hello. Uh, I'm looking for Miss Betty Wilson? Oh, hello. I'm her aunt. Isn't she here? I had a message for her from South America. I'm sorry. Betty was... was married two weeks ago. Married? Oh, but, but that's impossible. Why, they loved each other. She told him she loved... um... him. You're Albert Marshall, then? Did you force her to marry that flour mill man? What? Oh, no, I... Won't you come in, please? Well... Won't you sit down? Thank you. I'm terribly sorry about Betty. I... my nephew will be sorry too. Is he so very much in love with her? Very much indeed. He wrote such lovely letters. You saw them? Yes, I... I... Mr. Marshall, can I trust you? What? Why, yes, of course, but why? Mr. Marshall, there was never any Betty Wilson. What? I wrote those letters to your nephew, Mr. Marshall. You wrote them? Mr. Marshall, you're a man of my age. You understand, I know. I was lonely. I felt I had to have a friend. I didn't mean any harm, but I got in so deep with Richard that I couldn't find a way out. So that's why you said Betty was married. It was the only way out I could think of, Mr. Marshall. I, I do wish I could help Richard some way, but 
I've made a dreadful mess of things. Yes. Poor Richard. I'm so sorry, Mr. Marshall. If I could help him in some way. Yes, well, perhaps you could help him. I'll do anything, Mr. Marshall. I'll, I'll do my best to explain it to him, but uh, look here. I think you'd better have dinner with me tonight, and we'll talk it over. That was three months ago. We sat and talked of Vancouver and everything in the world except Albert's nephew, Richard. And when I told Sarah about it, she complimented me. She was sure the whole thing was over. But it wasn't. Albert called me up the next week to tell me that he'd had cable from his nephew in South America saying that he'd decided to remain there and would he please explain it to me. Well, three months is a long time, and Albert and I got better and better acquainted. Oh, in fact, here he comes now. I hope I'm not too late, Vivian. Why, Albert, you look wonderful. <laughs> Thought the hat might be a little skittish for an old man. <laughs> but it's all right for the occasion. It's wonderful. Uh, where, do, where do we go? Right around the corner. There, see the window? Mm-hmm. Excited? A little. You? Well... Yes, sir? Well, I'd like to, uh... Apply for a, uh, uh, a marriage license. Why? Uh, how could you tell? <laughs> Mister, I've been here 19 years. <laughs> Lady first, name, occupation, and age. Vivian Wilson, school teacher, age 36. All right. Are you, Mister, name? Uh, Richard Marshall. Richard Marshall. Vivian, dear, I should have told you this before. I should have told you that day when I first called, when you were so honest with me. But, but... I started it the same way you did, Vivian. I was lonely, too. And a young mining engineer sounded a lot better than a middle-aged toy salesman. Ah, occupation, toy salesman. But the photograph... I bought it right out of a photographer's window, darling, and... Then I invented an uncle so I could come and see you. I... I see. Vivian, does it really make any difference? If it does... Of course it makes a difference, Albert. Now I've got to get used to calling you Richard all over again. Angel, wouldn't it be wonderful to be blessed with profound wisdom along the lines of life's most important subjects? I would love, for instance, to be able to give a logical explanation for all the strange and unusual things people do when they are in love. There is really no reason for a person to stumble blindly off a curb or make his exit in familiar territory through a closet that's filled with brooms and dustpans. And it doesn't make sense to me to have your heart beat so fast that you feel like you're going to faint just because a person enters a room. Yet, it happens. You're very quiet tonight, Jimmy. You haven't touched your dinner. Yeah, I guess I am. Hey, Sue, there's something I gotta tell you. What's wrong, Jimmy? What can I do to help? Oh, you can't help me, Sue. No one can. What about your family? I have no family. I'm a wanderer. A few months in one city, a few in the next, and then hit the road. That's me. And I'm moving on now. I, I wish I knew what to say. I wish I knew how to keep you. Oh, Sue! Don't you understand what I'm trying to say? 
I'm no good for you, or any other woman. My days are marked now. I don't have so many left, and I got a lot to do in them. What do you mean? You, you don't have so many left? Are you ill? Yeah. Yeah, you bet I'm ill. I'm sick. Only there's no medicine that can get at what's on, gnawing at my insides. No doctor can reach it. Oh, Jimmy, I wish you'd let me help you. I love you so much. I wish you'd let me help you. No. I'm taking you home. And I'm saying goodnight. And goodbye. And that's it. And then where are you going, Jimmy? Well then, Sue, honey, I'm gonna kill a man. Extra, extra, read all about the big murder. Extra, extra. I hope you don't mind me bothering you like this, Miss Rogers. My name is Claire Paris. I've come to see you because I, I think you might be able to help me find my brother. I don't understand. Well, my brother ran away from home over 10 years ago. We've never heard from him since. My mother saw the pictures of James Dyke in the papers and she's sure he's Jimmy. She says the resemblance is very striking. I'm not sure myself because I was only nine when Jimmy left and I don't remember him too well. Jimmy can't be your brother, he's no family. I know, that, that's what he said in court, but mother thinks he might just be covering up so as to not disgrace us. And then when we saw your picture and read that you and he had been engaged, we thought you might be able to help. But he can't be your brother. He always said he never had a home or a family. I can't go home with at least seeing him. You can't possibly see him. You see, my dear, he's being executed tonight. Tonight? But I've got to see him. You see, there's another reason. The man James Dyke killed was the man who ruined my father in business. He was responsible for my father's death. The man who ruined your father in business? You're sure? I'm positive. Then come on, we've got to see the governor right away. Sit down, Dyke. This is the last chance I have to ask, and the last chance you have to answer. Who are you? I'm James Dyke. Murderer. That isn't your real name, and we know it. You're not gonna execute a name, you're gonna execute a man. What difference does it make whether you call me Dyke or something else? You're a completely new animal to me, Dyke. We've never had a man in here before that no one could find any anything about. Even that girl you were engaged to didn't know who you were. I told you who I am. If you don't believe me, that's your tough luck. Do you want to make any statement? No. I guess I've said everything. I killed a man, and I'm not sorry for it. That is, I'm not sorry I killed that particular person. He wasn't fit to live. It was my duty to kill him, and I did it. I'd never struck a man in anger in all my life, but I knew a long time ago that if I ever found that man, I'd kill him. And I did it. Deliberately, intentionally, and very carefully. I knew what I was doing, and I haven't any excuse. That is, I haven't any excuse that satisfies the law. I wouldn't even try and give him one. I learned pretty early in life that whatever you do in this world, you have to pay for in one way or another. And if you kill a man, well, the price you have to pay is this. All right. I'm going to pay it. All right. I've said my say. But one more thing. Here's the $2,500 the newspaper sent you for that phony story of your life you gave them. What shall I do with the money? Well, I don't know. I'll think about it. And, Dyke, there's a young woman outside in the anteroom. She's just come to see you. Do you want to see her? Not particularly. What does she want? 
She thinks maybe she's your sister. She's come at 200 miles to find out. You don't have to see her. It's up to you. 200 miles, huh? Uh, 200 miles? Yes. She's got special permission from the governor to talk to you. That is, with my approval. Well, okay, Warden. However you want to do it, but I have no sister. Well, sweetie, in just a moment, we'll return to Act Two of The Valiant. But first, I want to talk to you about unpleasing breath. Don't let unpleasing breath ruin your romance. Instead, do this. Brush your teeth night and morning and before every date with Brand X Tooth Powder. Remember the name, Muffin? Brand X Tooth Powder, with the accent on X to stop unpleasing breath. You are listening to Reimagined Radio. The episode is called Affairs of the Heart. I'm John Barber. So far, you've heard The Good Salesperson and Act One of The Valiant. We will continue with more stories about love and more from Lonesome Gal after these words from our sponsors. KXRW would like to thank New Vansterdam for their ongoing support of community radio. New Vansterdam is Vancouver's premier cannabis market. Visit newvansterdam.com to view and order from their full online menu. And they offer in-store, curbside, and touchless pickup to better serve you. New Vansterdam is located in the Height Shopping Center on the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen Road. Open 8 a.m. to 11 p.m., 365 days a year. More information at newvansterdam.com. Community Radio Like This is brought to you by the generous support by our founding sponsors at ADCO Commercial Printing and Graphics. Clark County's local print shop since 1993, ADCO features stationery, posters, flyers, tickets, business cards, stickers, catalogs, and much more. Print on anything and mail anywhere. Learn more at adco1.com. That's A-D-C-O, the number one, dot com. Big thank you to our friends at Boomerang Therapy Works and home of the KXRW Studios. Boomerang is the only physical therapy facility in Vancouver and Portland that specializes in the treatment of neuromuscular disorders and brain injuries like Parkinson's, MS, and stroke. They opened Boomerang to bring premier treatment to their patients. Find Boomerang Therapy Works in action on Instagram or Facebook and see how their patients are inspired in their recovery. They can be reached at 360-258-1637. That's 360-258-1637. Let's get back to our performance. Claire and James are about to meet. What will they find in each other? Well, Miss Paris, I'll be very frank with you. I don't think you'll have much success with the prisoner, James Dyke, but he is willing to talk to you. Thank you, Warden. I'm very grateful. Now, would you mind telling me how you think you're going to recognize your brother? I'm just going to talk to him, ask him questions about things he and I used to do together, and I'll watch his face. And if he's my brother, I'm sure I can tell. What did you and your brother used to do that would help you out now? Well, he used to tell me stories when I was a little girl. That's what I'm counting on mostly. Especially the Shakespeare stories. Shakespeare? He used to learn all the speeches by heart. He wanted to be an actor, and every night before I'd go to sleep, he'd sit beside my bed, and there were two speeches we'd always say to each other. Two speeches out of Romeo and Juliet. 
and then I'd go to sleep. I'm afraid you've come on a wild goose chase, Miss Paris. This boy never heard of Shakespeare, but I'll let you see for yourself. However, if he isn't your brother, you'll oblige me by cutting your visit as short as you can. Yes, I will, uh, and thank you very much. You see, I've got to tell Mother something definite. She's worried so long about him. I'll take you to him now. You can see him alone, but Father Daly and I will be in the next room, so you needn't be afraid. No, I, I won't be afraid. Good for you. Come on. Well? My, my mother wanted me to talk to you. Well? You see, we hadn't heard of my brother Joe for such a long time. Mother thought, after what we read in the papers... You thought I might be your brother Joe, huh? Yes. Well, you can easily see I'm not your brother, can't you? Is your name really James Dyke? Yeah, that's my name. <laughs> Miss, you don't think I'd lie at this stage of the game, do you? No, I don't think you would. Where do you come from? I mean, where were you born? Up in Canada. But I've lived all over. But didn't you ever live in Ohio? No. Never. What kind of work do you do? What was your business? Oh, I've been about everything a man could be, except a success. Do you like books? Hmm. No, not very much. Oh, um, how about Shakespeare? Shakespeare? Are you kidding? No, my brother liked Shakespeare. Huh. Did you ever want to be an actor? Me? Nah. I hope you don't mind me asking so many questions. No, I don't mind. I've gotten used to questions. Do you know any poetry? Very little. Do you know this? Thou knowest the mask of night is on my face, else would a maiden blush be paint my cheek for that which... You, you don't know it? No. Tell you the truth, it sounds a bit silly, doesn't it? Good night, good night. Parting is such sweet sorrow that I shall say good night till it be morrow. What comes next? I don't know. What does? I'm sorry. You're not Joe, are you? Uh-uh. I'm sorry I bothered you, but I had to come find out. Thank you for seeing me. Goodbye. Hey, uh, wait a minute. Just don't go yet. You know, I'm surprised your mother sent you on such an errand instead of coming herself. Well, she's very ill. Oh. It's all from worrying about Joe. Well, when you tell her I'm not your son, her son, that'll make her feel better, right? Her son isn't a murderer. No, I, I don't think Mother will ever really be well again until she finds out for certain where Joe is and what's become of him. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. Say, what's your name? Claire Paris. Claire Paris, huh? Mm-hmm. It's a pretty name. Sort of unusual, isn't it? Paris. Say, I, uh, I've heard it somewhere, too. Oh, well, it's just like the name of the city in France. <laughs> yeah. And your brother's name was Joe? Yes. Uh-huh. Joe. Jo Joseph? Joseph Paris. Hey, I know that name. What? Wait a minute. What, what was that boy's name? Wait... Wait a minute, I think I got it. Uh, uh, Joseph Anthony Paris. Yes, that's it. That's his name. How oh, do you know it? Oh, wait, wait. Um, gee, I'm all excited. Okay, listen carefully to what I say. And don't interrupt me because we've only got a minute. Uh-huh. And I want you to get all this straight, see, so you can tell your mother. Now, you see, when the war came along, I enlisted and I went overseas with the Canadians. You knew Joe. Wait, wait now. Early one morning, 
We staged a big trench raid, and there was an officer who'd been wounded coming back from the raid, and he was lying out there in a shell hole under fire. Well, all of a sudden, some young guy dashed out of the trench not far from where I was and went after the officer. He got the officer in his arms all right and started back, but, well, he'd only got a few yards when a 5.9 mortar landed right on top of the two of them. Yeah. Afterward, we got what was left, but the identification tag was still there, and that was his name, Joseph Anthony Paris. Oh, my goodness. So if that was your brother's name, then... Well, you can tell your mother that he died like a brave man and a soldier in France. And you were there. You saw it. Yeah. Yeah, I was there. I saw it. Well, if you don't believe what I said, just, just write up to Ottawa and get the official report. Of course, records are sometimes mixed up, you know, but I've told you the truth. And it certainly ought to make your mother happy when she knows her boy died as a soldier. Not as a criminal. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, yes, of course it will. And it makes you happy, too, don't it? Yes. Yes, very happy. Oh, that's good. Well, I'm glad I was able to tell you before it... Uh, say, I'm, uh, I'm going to give you something to take to your mother. Here. You take this envelope to your mother from me and tell her it's from a man who was in France and saw your brother die. So it's a sort of a memorial for him, huh? No, oh, no, no, we can't take this. I want you to have it. I've nothing to do with it myself. Oh, you might, you might do one thing for me. There's, there's a girl named Sue Rogers. Yeah, I, I saw her before I came here. As a matter of fact, she helped me. Oh, well, uh, pick out some little thing for her, will you? You know, some, a bracelet, a pin, something. Just something to remember me by, huh? You love her, don't you? Yeah. How, how could you feel like that about her and, and kill someone? Well, Miss Paris, there are some things that have to be done no matter what the cost. Maybe what I did was wrong, maybe not. But from where I sat, it looked like the right thing. It still does. He was a bad man, I know that. He once stole everything we had. Mother told me that. He stole from a lot of people. Well, I guess you better go. Gee, I'm glad you came, though. Mr. Dyke, could I kiss you? Oh, it... <laughs> thanks. Thanks for my last kiss. Goodbye. Hey, uh, what's wrong? I was thinking... I was thinking about what I used to say to my brother for goodnight, and I wish I could have said it to him just once more for goodbye. Well... Why don't you say it for me? I told you, and you said it was silly. Oh, go on. Say it again, huh? Good night. Good night. Parting is such sweet sorrow that I shall say good night till it be morrow. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. Sleep, dwell upon thine eyes, peace in thy breast. Would I were sleep in peace, so sweet to rest. Of all the wonders that I've yet heard, it seems to me most strange that men should fear, seeing that death, a necessary end, will come when it will come. Cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiant never taste of death but once. 
The valiant never taste of death but once. This is Reimagined Radio. I'm John Barber. Our program is Affairs of the Heart, stories about the travails we endure, the stories we tell ourselves, and the results we never expect when dealing with love. You have heard the good salesperson, the valiant, and of course, lonesome gal, our special guest. Our next story is Bloodthirsty Kate. City down, mateys. Oh, right, Captain. Oh, thank you, sir. Now, I've called this council of war, so to speak, because our fortunes have sunk to a horrible bottom. Oh, bad is that, Captain? Worse! We ain't got a brass farthing in the coffer, and the rum aboard's only fit for pigs and the crew. It's truth? Aye, truth. We ain't seen a ruddy ship for nigh on three weeks. And something's got to be done. I was about to uh, running down to Trinidad. Uh, we might find pickings there. Oh, begging the captain's pardon. I've heard tell that bloodthirsty Kate is in the waters. And she don't take any to want anyone poaching on her right. Bloodthirsty Kate! <laughs> that miserable old cow. Calling herself a pirate. That scurvy excuse for a woman. <laughs> I'd like to meet her just once. I'd blow the whole flaming lot out of the sea. Now, come on. We're sailing for Trinidad. Sail ho! Starboard bell! Sail ho! Here, Margaret, give me that glass. Let's have a look at here. All right, here it is. Oh, gore blimey. Here, have a look. Muggridge, Muggridge, have a look. Tell me what colour she is. Half a moat. Love me. It's red. All red. That's what I thought. It's her, all right. Bloodthirsty Kate. I knew, I knew we shouldn't have trespassed down here. We're in for it now, and no mistake. Oh, what is it? What is it? Starboard, Captain. A red ship. Blimey. Bloodthirsty Kate! Bloodthirsty Kate! Aye, men! She's bound to be loaded down with ransom! Gold, silver, precious jewels! Good rum! What a prize, eh? What a prize! Bloodthirsty Kate! Look at her, men! She's too big, too clumsy! We'll rake her across the bow and give her a broadside that'll make her strike. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bullies. Pass out the cutlasses, pistols, run up the Jolly Roger, and let's have a do. <laughs> Gun crews to your stations! <laughs> Shall we give one more broadside and finish the pig? No, we'll board. Is, is me hat on straight? Oui, mon capitaine. Save the captain for me, then. I want the pleasure of splitting him on my sword. Ah, mon capitaine. Prepare to board the enemy. Save the captain for Capitaine Kate. Keep off my ship! I don't want the decks on the top of blood! <laughs> <laughs> 
thirsty Kate. On the poop deck, Captain. On the poop deck. Ah, aye. Ahoy, bloodthirsty Kate, you knock-needled daughter of a grampus. I'll slice you into herring food. Who are you? Hey, I'm Captain Blackton. That too. So you're the sniveling fop doodle who's come poaching in me ocean, eh? I'll teach you to muck about with bloodthirsty Kate. Have at you! I've beat him, and I've loved him, but I never thought I'd have the pleasure of carving up a woman. Oh, you greasy bit of blubber, I'll use your head as a mop to swab the decks when I'm finished with you. Look up the We have once a day to ship you down your orders. Hold on till I finish with the pig dog here. We oui, mon capitaine. I'll say this for you, fat toad. No man's ever stood up before bloodthirsty Kate for this long in mortal combat and lived to tell it. I never had no mortal combat with a woman before. You rancid old saddle of mutton. But there's not been a man fought against me as well, nor as long. My Capitan, I beg to inform you that our crew has returned to our ship. It is no longer safe to stay here. The ship is sinking. The decks are awash. Hold your sword a minute, Blackton. <sighs> Blimey, it's the truth. My poor old tub's done for. She's going down. We'll get aboard my ship and I'll finish you off there. No, oh, no. Rules is rules. When I beat you, I take over your ship and your crew. <laughs> I never said you nay to that. Uh, what, but what about me own blinking crew, hey? Think I want to see them perish before me eyes while we fight nice and dry on your ship and they're tied up to drown here like rats? All right. Bantonage? Oui, mon capitaine. Take that scurvy lot aboard and make them take their shoes off first. I don't want my nice, clean deck covered with all their nasties. And fetch me another pair of stockings. These has got a rip in them. Bien, mon capitaine, it will be as you wish. We'll finish this where it's dry, Blackton. Me feet's getting wet, and I always catch me death of cold when me feet's wet. Come on, before we have to swim for it. Are you ready to continue, Blackton? I am. But first, the rules. Rules is rules. Until you best me fair, you ain't got no more rights than I have. Them's pirate rules, and you know it. Have I offered to deny it? Matter of fact, this ship and your whole blooming crew belong to me and my crew when I finished with you. Don't you worry your scurvy head about that or anything else, Blackton. When I throw your carcass overboard, your crew goes with you, and that's an end of it. <laughs> All right, you fish-faced old hag. We might as well get it over with. Do your worst! <laughs> Have at you! Sail on! Sail on the starboard corner! Hold on! Blackton, I have got to get a look at this! What do you mean, you got to have a look? We got to have a look. I'm captain too, you know. Ahoy! Bandinage, can you make her out? It appears to be a warship, my capitaine. She will deny our adventure. Looks like it, don't it? <laughs> Frigate from the cut of her. And I say, ship of the line. <laughs> Frigate. Well, I ain't hanging about to find out. All hands make sail! Hoist the mainsail and top gallants! Oh, hey, to whom are you giving orders? My crew. And how about my crew? Put them up with mine. Not that they'll be worth a hang. 
Well, supposing me and my crew don't choose to run, supposing we choose to stay and fight. You off your nut? There's a whole squadron mucking about in these waters. Suppose that's the leader. Aye, but suppose it ain't. I could do with another ship. And until you finish me off, which you ain't likely to do, seems to me we ought to have a go at yon vessel. I ain't gonna stand here and argue, Blackton. Uh, I've got as much rights as you have. You agreed to that. I'm captain, pro tem, same as you. What are you gassing about pro tem? <laughs> well, that's education. What I have, and what you have not. Pro tem, temporarily. For the time being. Well, we ain't gonna be temporary for long, nor anything else. The Royal Navy's coming up fast, and if you'd open your nasty, squinty little eyes, you'll see she is a ship of the line, and we're clearing off. With your permission, Captain. Bandinage! We'll steer off a Granada! Aye, aye, mon capitaine! Cool. Thirty guns aboard, and a feared of a great oak like that. <laughs> cool. Well, we won't have to worry about the Navy for a bit. I've got the fastest ship in the Caribbean, and that's a fact. Uh, we've got the fastest ship. Oi! <laughs> you at the wheel! Keep your luff! She ain't no quarter-bloody master. I'm gonna put one of my men at the wheel. Never seen such carelessness. Look at her sails. What's the matter with them? Well, look at them, that's all. Flapping all over the place, like washing on the line. Oh, well, what can you expect with a woman in charge? No discipline, no idea of seamanship. They look all right to me. <laughs> Call yourself a sailor, gore. <laughs> Oi, Gunfalon. Oi, Captain. See them sails? Aye, sir. What do you think of the way they're set? Well, it wouldn't be polite to say in front of a lady, sir. Well, put them to rights. With our crew, not hers. Aye, Captain. Blackton's bully boys, aloft to trim sail. Let's show them how it's done. I don't hear myself give no orders to do that. Uh, no, you heard me. Now look here. Something's got to be done about this, and that's a fact. There ain't no ship afloat can be commanded by two captains. Taint in the nature of things. It's my ship. How many times must I tell you it's our ship, pro Tim? Until we settle it, either you beat me... Her I beat you. Well, then I say let's finish it quick. Pistols at ten paces, how's that for you? I couldn't be happier. All right, so be it. Bandinage, bring up them dueling pistols I took off the Spaniard in Panama. Dueling pistols? Well, begging your pardon, Captain, but you can't hit the side of a galleon with no pistols. Uh, hold your tongue, Galfinon. Aye, aye, my capitaine. And uh, how's about a drop of rum before we begin? Eh? I'm fair parched. And Band Nodge, bring some rum. I'm a capitaine. Now do me the honor of uh, casting your eyes aloft. That's the way to set a sail. I always say, takes a man to do a man's job. Meaning? Well, you're a female. And your crew behaves like a lot of blinking females. Though seeing as are they're led by one, it's human nature, I suppose. <laughs> who defeated who in battle? Whose ship defeated whose? Oh, that. It's nothing. Look, I'll admit, my ship wasn't much. Heavy in the head. Not enough guns, but it wasn't no seamanship that won for you. Just luck. Sorry, Twitch. I had it planned that way. 
to attack you so I could take over your ship. I had it planned. Oh, you're a ruddy marvel. I've never heard such a spouting of drivel in me life. When I blow your head off, I'm going to have it mounted in me cabin so I can look at it and be happy I was born a woman. The pistols, mon capitaine, are the rum. All right. Is, is me hair done up all right? Beautiful, charming, mon capitaine. Women should always look her best, no matter what. That's what I always say. Come on now, Blackton. Have your last drink, because the next thing you'll be tasting is salt water. Well, I'll drink a toast here then, Kate. You're only a woman, and, well, not much to look at at that. But you're not afraid to die at the hands of a marksman such as myself. Oh, he's got to call it like a hippopotamus. Give the bottle over before you drain it. <sighs> That's a lovely drop of rum, that is. Here's to you, Blackton. I'll have more pleasure doing you than I've had since I strung up the Spanish Admirable at Portobello. <sighs> All right. Take your choice of pistols, Blackton. It don't make no difference to me. Well, I'll have uh, this one. All loaded. Fair? Of course they are. <laughs> All right. Sure you want to die this way? No hard feelings? No hard feelings. I hate to do it. Don't seem fair somehow. What? Well, I'll admit you're not bad with a cutlass, but uh, you haven't got a chance with pistols. That's my hard luck then, ain't it? Here, Bandanage, you count us ten paces. Ah, oui, mon capitaine. That's a shame. What's a shame? <laughs> you could have stayed at home like a decent woman. Had babies. Been a loving wife to some hard-working man. Then I wouldn't be in the dreadful position of having to commit cold-blooded murder. <laughs> he wouldn't have minded doing murder with a cutlass. Well, that's different. It's sporting-like. This is murder. I'll tell you straight, I don't like it. Gives me the queasies in me belly. Don't worry, I'll shoot you in the belly. It'll make your queasies feel better. Start counting, Bandinage. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Now stop, stop. I can't do it. I can't, that's all. What do you mean you can't do it? Murder. That's what it is. And Captain Blackton draws a line at murdering a woman. Here. I dropped me gun. Shoot me. Go on, shoot. Tighten the rules, and you won't have defeated me in honorable combat, but I'd rather you shut me down like a dog than to have to commit murder. Listen, you miserable old barrel of spoiled pork. Uh. You know I cannot do that. I lose face with my crew. Now pick up your pistol, and we'll have another go at it. No, no. My conscience won't allow it. I look at you, and I think of my mother. Bless her poor dear heart. Blast your mother and blast you, Blackton. It ain't right playing on me sentiments like that. Here, Kate. Let's have another drop of rum and talk this over. There's got to be another way. Well, there ain't. One of us has got to be captain, and one of us has got to die. It ain't good for the crew. Look at them, standing around like a lot of lost children. Fear makes your heart bleed. Ah, there, there, see? That's what your problem is. Children, you got a, a hidden hunger to fulfill your womanly functions, so to speak. 
They ain't men and women to you. They're children. Have I got to listen to this muck? Here, have another swig of rum. Pete, I have an idea. What? Well, suppose we left off uh, trying to kill each other. How can we? Someone's got to be captain. We both would be. You bar me. Here, have a swig yourself. <laughs> Don't mind if I do. <laughs> both have escaped. I don't mind admitting. In these past few hours, I've taken a great liking to you. I have a respect. You're the first woman I've respected since me mother. I accept the compliment in the manner it is given. Well, the crew, the crew, they need a leader. They need a man. And they need a woman. Your tender ministrations to keep them happy as children. Mine to keep them happy and strong. Blackton, are you suggesting what I think you're suggesting? Holy wedlock! <laughs> Solves the whole problem! Love me. Captain and Mrs. Horace Blackton. How's it sound to you? Captain Horace and Captain Kate Blackton sounds better, but... I ain't saying I'll do it. I'll have to think about it. Oh, why don't you? I'm not a bad sort. And I can see you and I'd have a bit of fun, what with the piracy and all. There's a thousand pounds on my head. There's a thousand on mine, too. Well, there you are. We'd be the most famous couple in history. You think about it, Kate. I'd be very proud if you'll give your consent. With your permission, Captain, I'll retire to my cabin. My sentiments is all stirred up, and I'd like to gain me composure, so to speak. Your servant, Mum. <laughs> Oi! Bandanage! Help your captain to her quarters and come back. I've got orders for you. Oui, monsieur. Me poor bloody head's all of a swirl, Captain, I do declare. Rest easy, Mum. Your servant, Mum. Everything all right, sir? Oh, everything's lovely, Gunfalon. Oh, I didn't get half wind up when I see you starting the duel with her. She's a dead shot. I know, I know, and I can't hit the bride's side of an elephant at five paces. <laughs> but I couldn't let her know that. No, it had to be done artful-like. <laughs> and there never was a woman who didn't go all soft when you play on her heartstrings. <laughs> I'm going to marry her, Gunfalon. Marry her? That's right. We'll have a ship, her ship, a nice big crew, her crew, and a good cook. That'll be her. <laughs> what more could a pirate ask for? Cook, is it? I heard that remark. I'll do no cooking for the likes of you. Kate, Kate, now, now listen. I listened, and I heard. How about you? Kate! <laughs> well, all right, then. You are listening to Reimagined Radio. Our program is Affairs of the Heart, performed by Metropolitan Performing Arts. Our special guest is Lonesome Gal. This is John Barber. After this short break to thank our sponsors, I'll be back with closing remarks and a final performance by Lonesome Gal. 
KXRW programming is made possible by the generous support by David Dansky with David's Toys, buyer and collector of old toy trains, including Lionel, Flyer, Ives, and Marks. He is interested in buying old transportation-related toys as well as toy trains from the late 1800s to the 1960s. David offers appraisals for fellow toy train lovers as well. David's Toys can be reached at 360-576-1602. That's 360-576-1602. Domestic violence is not okay, and it's on the rise, especially now during this time of COVID-19. Domestic violence comes in many forms, such as physical abuse, verbal, financial, sexual, stalking, and technological abuses. If you or someone you know is in an abusive relationship, we can help. The Vancouver Police Department and the YWCA are here for you. You are not alone, even in this time of crisis. You can call the YWCA at 360-695-0501 or call 911 for the police. You can also find helpful information about the Safe Choice Domestic Violence Program at ywcaclarkcounty.org and in Portland at ywcapdx.org. Court-appointed special advocates for children, known as CASA, are volunteers who advocate for the best interest of children who have come into the care of the state as a result of abuse, neglect, or abandonment. You can lend your voice and volunteer with CASA to change a child's story. CASA offers virtual information sessions and training. If interested, now is the time to get involved with CASA and make a lasting difference in the lives of children and families in the foster care system. Clark County CASA is a program of the YWCA Clark County. More information available at casaclarkcounty.org. This is Reimagined Radio, a program about sound-based storytelling. This episode is titled Affairs of the Heart and featured three stories, The Good Salesperson, The Valiant and Bloodthirsty Kate, and of course, you also heard the incredible singing of Lonesome Gal. Our cast included Rebecca Sharp as Vivian Wilson, Sue Rogers, and Bondinage, Ariana Dorenbosch as Sarah Wilson, Claire Paris, and Captain Bloodthirsty Kate, Derek Noland as Richard Marshall, Newsy, and Mugger Ridge, Larry Taylor as Marriage Office Clerk James Dyke and Captain Blackton, Greg Schilling as Warden and Gonfalon, John Barber and Barbara Richardson as Lookouts. Our special guest was Barbara Richardson as Lonesome Gal. Audio recording by Wager Audio, music by River Twain, sound design by John Barber, post-production by Martin John Gallagher, social media by Regina Carroll, social media management and photography, graphic design by Holly Slocum Design. A big thanks to all our listeners who support programming like Reimagined Radio with their contributions. If you would like to help support our efforts, please visit the kxrw.fm website. Scroll down the page and engage with the Donate button. This has been a production of Reimagined Radio. Please visit our website, www.reimaginedradio.net, for information about Reimagined Radio, our performances, and to subscribe to our snappy email newsletter. That's www.reimaginedradio, all one word, no punctuation, dot net. This is John Barber, producer and host of Reimagined Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you will join us again. Until then, take care, keep love alive, 
and enjoy this final appearance by our special guest, Lonesome Gal. Well, hun, I've always said that I like everybody, but that doesn't apply to the guy that invented the clock. I no sooner get snuggled up and cozy with you, and then I have to leave. I'll be back again soon, and I'll look forward to another visit with you. And I don't know about you, but my time away makes my heart grow fonder. And that proves to me that your lonesome gal loves you better than anyone in the whole world. Who knows what tomorrow may bring? I wonder whether I'll know when my heart starts to sing. If you have love to spare, lips to share, why don't you Thank you for listening to Monday Matinee right here on the Mutual Audio Network. Please consider subscribing to other days of the Mutual feeds, including Tuesday Terrors for Horror, Wednesday Wonders, our science fiction and fantasy magazine, Thursday Thrillers for Action, Adventure, Mystery, and Crime Drama, Friday Follies, our end-of-the-week comedy series, Saturday Story Circle for kids and families alike, and Sunday Showcase, bringing you the very newest in audio releases for the week, from our United Artists of Audio, right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together. <laughs>